We've been going through the series, uh, Reconnecting with God, thinking about our intimacy with the Lord. And this week, we get to expose a powerful disruptor in our intimacy with the Lord. And that powerful disruptor is envy. Envy. Today's psalm is Psalm 73, and in it, the worship leader Asaph, he shares with us a really personal testimony that he has with envy and how it almost derailed everything in his life. And today we're going to take a look at his story, and by looking at that, we're going to learn some things about envy and how it entraps us and how to get free from envy ourselves. And so if you have your Bibles, please open up to Psalm 73. I'm going to be reading... Um, verses 1 to 5, and then I'm going to be reading 12 to 17. So we're going to jump a little bit, 1 to 5 first, and then we're going to go from 12 to 17, okay? This is the word of the Lord in Psalm 73. Truly, God is good to Israel, but those who are pure, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Down to verse 12. Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. And all in vain have I kept my heart clean. And wash my hands in innocence. For all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. And if I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I discerned their end. This is the word of the Lord. Envy. Um, We're going to talk about envy today. Asaph shares about how envy almost ruined him. And uh, as we start, maybe I should say what's the difference between envy and jealousy. I think because in our vernacular, we kind of use them interchangeably. But there is a little bit of a difference between the two. Jealousy is this desire inside of us to protect what is rightfully ours. You see, in the Old Testament, we're introduced to God as he says, I'm a jealous God doesn't mean he's an envious God, but he means that the things that are rightfully his, he does guard like his glory. His glory is his, it's not ours. So he guards his glory. He's a jealous God. He's also a jealous God with us. He says, you are my people. You're not Baal's people. You don't belong to the world. You're my people. And so he guards us with passion. He protects us because we are his He's a jealous God. You see, there are forms of jealousy which are actually healthy. We should be jealous for our spouse, right? It's my husband, my wife. We should guard, protect, and love our spouse. That's jealousy, but there's also envy. And envy, in contrast to jealousy, is when we covet things that are not ours, when we want something that is not ours. And unlike jealousy, there is no healthy form of envy. Envy is always destructive. It's always destructive and left unchecked. Envy becomes this rottenness inside of us and robs us of our joy. That's what Asaph says in Psalm 73. He says, that's what happened to me. And this week I saw just how powerful of a cancer envy can be in our lives. In fact, in um, Proverbs 27, 4, the writer writes this. He says, wrath is cruel 
Anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before envy? It's really powerful in our lives. And so today we're going to look at the trap of envy in our lives. And then we're also going to look at how it's neutralized. How do you neutralize envy in our lives? So we're going to look at the, the, the trap of envy and the eternal perspective that neutralizes it. And finally, I'm just going to end with three quick practical applications that I think will help us in our journey to be free from envy. My brothers and sisters, I really ask you, pay close attention to Psalm 73. Take it home and look over it because it, it, inside of it has something very powerful for your release. Would you pray with me? Let's ask God to help us on our journey to be freed from this. Father, as I look out into the congregation, I know there are brothers and sisters who didn't even know that they struggled with this, who didn't even know they were trapped in this. And I pray that today the Spirit of the Lord would expose this great disruptor in our intimacy with the Lord. And then for those of us who know that we are part and parcel of this trap, I pray that today would be the day of their release. Father, I proclaim that there will be spiritual warfare here today in this room so that those who have been trapped, that today the captives will be freed. Free us from the envy that's destroying us. Teach us what it means to be near to you. We trust this time to you and your servants were listening. And so speak, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> the trap of envy. Um, this psalm is written by brother named Asaph. He's a worship leader. And so far in the Psalms, we've only seen Psalms that have been written by David. This is the first Psalm that's not written by David that we've covered. And Asaph was a worship leader who was from the line of Levi. And his family were worship leaders, all of them. And not only did they lead worship, but they also wrote songs of worship for the people of God. And he writes this Psalm, and it's a super personal confession and a testimony um, of his heart. <clears throat> if you read verse 1 and 2 with me again... Uh, there are very few verses that in my personal reading of scripture that are as relatable as this. Because read it with me. He says, he first makes a confession. He says, truly God is good to Israel. Right? He says, I know. I know. You don't have to tell me. I know. I know God is good. Truly God is good to those in Israel, to those who are pure in heart. He says, but, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. Isn't that so relatable? Those of you who are Christians in the room? I know. I hear very few sermons where I'm learning something brand new. Right? I know. But he says, I know, but I don't feel that way. I know, but I think is one of the most relatable things I read in Scripture. It's almost as if he's saying, I know you're, you, you'll say that I shouldn't feel this way. I know that you'll say that this isn't biblical, but I'm sharing with you. I know God is good, but as for me, I almost lost my way. I almost lost my way. He says, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, verse 3, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw their prosperity. See, he's saying because of envy, he almost lost his whole way in life. If you remember the way that the Psalms begin in Psalm 1, the Psalm lays out two paths to life. It says that there's the path of blessedness, joy, meaning, and purpose in the Lord. And then there's the way of the wicked. What Asaph is saying is, I was tracking with this way of the blessed. 
connected with God, knowing my meaning and purpose and direction in life. I was in that path, but then almost my feet slipped and I ended up on the path of the wicked. He said, I almost lost my blessedness. I almost lost my joy. I almost lost my happiness. I almost lost my meaning and my purpose. And that's how powerful, brothers and sisters, envy can be in our lives. He says, all of this happened because I was envious of the arrogance when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. You see, he says, because I was envious, I was willing to throw my entire life away. Everything that he had built until then, this path of righteousness that he was going on, he was willing to just leave it all together. In verse 13, he says this. He says, all in vain have I kept my heart clean. Do you see how powerful envy is? It has the power to dismantle your entire direction and purpose in life just because you see someone else doing better. You see, you're tracking with the Lord. You're walking with him in intimacy and in blessedness. And then all of a sudden, you see on your Instagram someone else who's doing a little bit better than you. And all of a sudden, in your heart, you say, all in vain, I have kept my heart clean. They have more than me. And they want, and you want a different life. I was really shocked this week thinking about the power that envy has to derail our lives. Why does a man leave his wife and children to go run away with a mistress? Yes, envy, yes, lust and all that, but he envies a different life. That's the power of envy. What Asaph says here in verse 13 is, all in vain I have kept my heart clean. He's actually resenting his relationship with God. Brothers and sisters, we've all given up something in order to follow Jesus, right? We've all picked up our cross. That's what it means to be a disciple. And all of us have said no to certain things so that we could walk the path of righteousness. Asaph said, I did that, but I felt like it was all a big, stupid mistake. Because I saw those who didn't do that and they were flourishing He's saying, I should have just lived for money. I should have just lived for comfort. I should have just done that because all of them are doing so well. And I wasted my life pursuing God. You see, he's being tormented by his envy and he's regretting his faith. Listen to how he describes his emotions in verse 21 and 22. This is what's going on in his heart as he's starting to envy. In verse 21, he says, when my soul was embittered, When I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Envy is tormenting him so much that that envy is maturing into a bitterness. And some of you brothers and sisters are right here. And you may not even know it, that you are resentful and that you are bitter because you are envious. You might not be able to tell, but the people that you talk to, they can tell. They can tell that your resentment is like right under your throat and that you are bitter and that you are angry and you are dissatisfied with your life. You are discontent and they're wondering what is wrong with him. That resentment and envy that matures into bitterness. My brothers and sisters, this is destructive. It's something that is eating us alive. When we envy we can take two different kind of paths 
You know, when we feel that envy, we can either go in the direction of ambition, the things that I don't have, I'm going to work to get it. Or we could kind of go in the direction of despair, kind of give up, kind of depending on your personality when you experience envy or maybe where in the journey of envy you are. Maybe you were ambitious in response to envy in your 20s and 30s and 40s, and then now that you're 50 years old, 60 years old, maybe now it's not so much ambition, but a bitter despair. My brothers and sisters, both of those paths don't give you any way out of envy. You know, a lot of us think that the antidote for envy is abundance, right? If I just had this, if I had abundance, I wouldn't be envious. But I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, that envy is not an economic situation. It's not an economic condition of your heart. It's a spiritual condition of your heart. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter where you are. Envy is a spiritual condition of the heart. In fact, C.S. Lewis, he talks about envy, and he says that envy is one of the chief emotions from hell. And the reason he says that is because Satan, one of the reasons he fell was because of envy. That was the chief emotion that really drove him to fall because he had this honorable, beautiful, privileged position as a servant of God. And yet he looked at the throne of grace and he wanted the throne. And so with a heart of envy, he falls. And C.S. Lewis says that that heart of envy doesn't just reside in Satan himself, but resides in all of those who are in hell. And in contrast to those who are in contented rest in heaven, those who are in hell, gnash their teeth in envy and anger. And he said, the envy that you feel in your heart is actually from the pits of hell. He doesn't just get it out of nowhere, but he gets it out of Mark 9. In Mark 9, verse 47 and 48, Jesus is talking about temptation and hell. And some of you know well verse 47, but some of us don't know very well verse 48. Verse 47 is familiar. It says, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. But then he describes hell here, and he says, where their worm does not die, and their fire is not quenched. The second part, their fire, is the pain of judgment, the fire. But what is this worm? They're thrown into hell where the worm does not die. Lewis will say that this worm is that hunger. It eats at you and it does not die. It keeps eating at you and eating at you and creating emptiness in your heart. The never dying worm of envy in hell makes them gnash their teeth. Makes them gnash their teeth. My brothers and sisters, envy is not an economic condition. It is a spiritual condition from the pits of hell It will not be quenched with more money, more comfort, more freedom. The problem is not in that second word, money, comfort, or freedom. The problem is in that first word, more. That desire for more. It's the genius of Satan to take that heart condition that's in his heart and in the pits of hell to bring it to the Christians of the church. Show us something that we don't have and we deeply want and throw us into that trap cultivate it in our hearts, and then eventually it will make us hate the person that put us in these circumstances, God himself. I was embittered in my heart, Asaph says. I was like a beast before God. My brothers and sisters, is that where you have been living and you don't even pick up on it in your heart? Is that what's driving you to work so hard? 
Is that why it's making you so depressed? The envy that's the trap of hell can come into the hearts of even the sons of God, the daughters of the king. I want to warn you, this envy is so dangerous and it could be incredibly debilitating and it will disconnect you from your intimacy with God because you will be bitter at him, you will be angry at him. Satan will use it in your life and we need to dismantle it. Asaph says, I almost lost my blessedness. I almost lost my joy and purpose in life. If not for the eternal perspective. If not for the eternal perspective. How do we get out of envy? What neutralizes it? I want to show you by teaching you something about the Psalms. So we've been learning about the Psalms little bit by little bit. And as we started, I know some people felt like the Psalms are hard for me because the Psalms is they're poetry and I'm not good at poetry. I don't understand how that works. And so I want to teach you something about the Psalms. Psalm 73 has this amazing symmetry to it. And as you look at various different Psalms, you'll see a kind of symmetry in the poems. And when you have this kind of symmetry in the poems, the middle where the poem shifts, that middle is really important. In sonnets, it's called a volta. And that volta is where everything transforms, where there's a moment of release. And in our psalm as well, there is this volta. And there's a moment of transformation, and it's in verse 16 and 17. If you turn your attention to those two verses, you'll see it. He's complaining, he's a brute, an animal before God. And then in verse 16, he says, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. I want to stop there before we get this verse 17 and show you this. Release from envy will not come because of abundance, but it will also not come as a result of just more information. Asaph says, look, I know God is good. I know God is good. You don't need to tell me that. If you are struggling in the trap of envy, there's no amount of information that I can give you today to release you. It's not going to be from learning something new that you will be released from envy. He says, when I thought how to understand this, how to untangle this logically, it seemed like a wearisome task. It just kept coming back. But the change here is in verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. You see, brothers and sisters, the thing that released Asaph from his envy was not more information, was not a Bible verse that I could give you, or a principle, but it's the experience of the eternal. It's this encounter with God that takes all the things that you know, and it's almost as if your spirit finally digests it, and it goes from information to conviction, and it's in a moment of experience of the eternal, because here's This is why. Asaph's perspective changed. He saw the eternal perspective, and the eternal became more real to him than the temporal. When the temporal was more real, he couldn't stand the wicked. They have all of this stuff and comfort. He was trapped inside of that envy. But when the eternal came and became more real to him than the temporal, in that moment, in that encounter, he realized that their destination is nothing to envy. And my destination is incredible abundance. But it's in that experience of God, not in more information, that that's finally going to drop for you. You have to experience the eternal. Because you see, Asaph began the psalm by saying, I already know. Don't you know? Many of you who've been in the church a long time. 
Don't you already know? But it hasn't dropped to the level of conviction for you. He said, I know, but. What can you say to someone who says that? I already know everything, but. My brothers and sisters, the answer is not in more information. The answer is not in getting abundance, but it's to go from being inundated with the temporal to being inundated with eternity and making eternity more real in your life than the temporal. Once that happens to you, when that experience happens to you, it does begin to untangle. I want to show you what happened to Asaph once that hit, once he entered the sanctuary of God and he had the experience of God, the experience of the eternal, and the eternal became more real to him. He had another calculation, a different calculation. And I want to read you verse 16 to, uh, 18 to 19 and then contrast it with 20 to 23. He began to see what reality was, what eternity truly was. In verse 18, he says this, truly, this is the new realization, Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. He said, once I got an eternal perspective, I realized, actually, the wicked are not to be envied. This is nothing to envy. I wasn't going to say this part, but this week I saw Titanic again. And it was really good. It's back in theaters, if you have a chance. It's actually pretty cool. I watched it in 3D. And um, I gained a new appreciation for this. And I cut this part of my sermon, but I feel like the Spirit of the Lord is asking me to share about Titanic. Um, it's a really interesting movie when you watch it for the second time. I mean, of course we know that it's going to sink, but what you see is it's presenting this real disparity between the first class and steerage, right? Those of grand privilege and those of disadvantage, right? You're seeing that in the movie. But when you watch it for the second time, it becomes really blatant, right? What the real question is. It's not, what are you eating on Titanic? Who has caviar and who's eating porridge? It doesn't matter. The real question of the movie is, who gets to live? Who gets a lifeboat? When you watch it for the second time, you should gain a new perspective. And my brothers and sisters, what Asaph is saying is when I gained an eternal perspective on my life, I stopped being entrapped by these things like, who's doing better? That wasn't the question anymore. He says, truly you set them in slippery places. And then verse 23 and 24, he begins to see his destination, his reality. He says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. He says, how could I have forgotten that? How could I have forgotten? But that's what envy does to you. It blinds you from the eternal perspective. And Asaph didn't see that until he entered the sanctuary of God. Until he began to experience eternality afresh. It wasn't just about more information, brothers and sisters. It was about encountering the eternal again. And he begins to see the blessedness again of his own estate. Read this with me. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. Afterward, you will receive me to glory. You see how privileged he feels? He begins to see that again. His relationship with the Lord, his connection with God, you need that experience to break through your perspective again. 
You know, I think some of the, one of the most powerful experiences of this is actually at a funeral. If you've ever been to a funeral, what's the most recent funeral that you've been to? It becomes really clear what matters, right? You see the things that were weightless in this person's life, and it should remind us of what is weightless, but we obsess over. When's the last time you've been to a funeral? You know, I have been asked to do funerals for non-believers, and I struggle with that because I'm trying to grasp at something significant that has eternal significance when they don't have eternality. Asaph says, when I gained an eternal perspective and I had the moment, that encounter with God, it became real to me that I am blessed, that I am blessed because I'm continually with the Lord. And he begins to treasure God again. That's the only thing that defeats treasures, is a greater treasure. And look at verse 25 to 28. This is the confession that explodes out of his heart after he's had this encounter with God. In verse 25, he says, whom do I have in heaven but you? How could he have forgotten that? But he did. Whom do I have in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see, he's seeing clearly again. His eyes have been stretched to see eternity. Verse 27, for behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. You see the juxtaposition. At the beginning of the psalm, he says, I know God is good, but as for me, I didn't feel it. I didn't see it. At the end of the psalm, he says, they are going to fail. But as for me, I get to be near God. And that is my treasure. My brothers and sisters, it's only an experience with God that makes him your refuge. It's only an encounter with him that helps you to actually digest the truths of eternity. And as you do, your intimacy with God comes back. The thing that was in between you and the Lord, that kept you from being close to him, you were bitter against him, weren't you? That goes away, and you are able to get close to him again. Whom do I have in heaven but you? There's nothing I desire besides you. And you are seeing Asaph reconnect with God, discover again his intimacy with him, because envy has finally been neutralized by an eternal perspective. My brothers and sisters, there's no amount of information I could give you today that's going to help you with your envy. I can't. What can I tell you that you don't already know? But you need to encounter him afresh. Eternality has to become true and real to you again, or else your envy is a worm that's never going away. But in him, there is a restoration of joy and renewal and a remembrance of what you have, the weightiness with your relationship with God. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I just want to end with three, I think, um, helps that might help you along the way, practical things that I think that might help you along the way has helped me. And the first thing is you have to discern and be careful about what you feed into your eyes. Asaph here in verse three, he says, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw their prosperity. When I saw their prosperity, 
do not underestimate the power of the visual medium, what it could do to your heart. Jesus said in Matthew 6 this, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. What that means is like your eyes are like lamps and it colors your whole body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you, and you guys are the light of the world, right? If the light is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Your eyes are the lamp of your body. What you take into your eyes will affect your heart. The effects of the visual medium, brothers and sisters, do not underestimate what you are looking at in your social media feeds. What kind of environment are you making for your mind? What kind of podcasts are you listening to all the time? What are you doing to yourself? What are you feeding yourself? The eye is the lamp of the body. Asaph said, I was fine until I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Then I became a brute and an animal before God, embittered before him. Be careful of what you feed your soul. You have to discern. And if you're thinking, what, you know, what are those things? Uh, one day, John Wesley, the famed preacher, he asked his mom when he was young, Mom, what is sin? And uh, he asked his very godly mother a very simple question that is very difficult to answer. <laughs> he said, Mom, what is sin? And this very godly mother I really hope to be like her one day. She said this, my son John, whatever increases the authority of your body over your mind, whatever impairs the tenderness of your conscience, whatever takes away your relish for things spiritual, whatever obscures your sense of God, that is sin to you, no matter how innocent it may seem in itself. Whatever deadens your senses to the spiritual, And whatever amplifies your senses for the base things of your flesh, and whatever kills your desire for God and things eternal, no matter how good that thing is in this world, for you, it is killing you. For you, that is sin. My brothers and sisters, be discerning about what you feed your soul. Okay? Secondly, feed your mind with the things of eternity. Feed your mind with the things of eternity. I want to give you Paul's words in Philippians 4.8. This is what he, this is his advice to us. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, pure, lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Fill your mind with these things. Amplify your senses for the things eternal so that eternality becomes more real to you than the temporal. That's how you guard your heart. The things of eternity has to become more real to you. What do you do in your life that makes eternity more real to you? Where does heaven and earth meet for you? For me, it's worship in the word. When I worship with the saints, your voices remind me that eternality is more real than the things of this earth. When I read the word and I see the perspective of Jesus in scripture, it reminds me that the things of eternity are more real than the things of earth. What about for you? What amplifies your senses for the things eternal? And what deadens your senses for the things of this earth? Whatever that is for you, pursue these things. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full upon his wonderful face 
and then the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. My brothers and sisters, we need to make a practice of bringing to life the senses in us for the eternal. <laughs> Lastly, the last thing that really helps, and this has helped me, and I hope this really helps you, bless those people that you envy. Bless the people that you envy. If they're people that you'll never meet, pray for them. If they're people actually in your lives, love them. You see, the, it, it, envy is a spiritual condition. It's a never-dying worm from hell. And when we choose to love and bless, it's actually a spiritual attack on the worm of envy. I don't understand the psychology of this. I don't understand why this works psychologically, but I do know why it works spiritually. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says that love does not envy. What that means is, if you fill yourself with love, you have an inability to envy. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love does not seek its own way. When we decide to bless people that we are jealous to be, when we bless the people that we're envious of, we strike a spiritual blow to the never-dying worm of envy, and it's a spiritual attack on Satan himself. And we're taking a stand. I choose to love instead of envy. Brothers and sisters, who is he calling you to love because you are envious of them? And when we do that, we stop mimicking Satan and that worm of hell, and we start to mimic Christ because he came and did this very thing for us. We start to mimic Christ in his gospel because he came to deal the first blow to envy. I want to give you Philippians 2, 3 to 11 as we close, because this is another hymn that is given to us, and it shows us the power of what Jesus did in the gospel. He was the first one to come and defeat envy in this life, and he did it in his own heart. Let's read this. In verse 3, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He says, this mindset, this is yours, earned for you by the blood of Jesus Christ. This is your mindset, guard it with a jealousy, knowing that this mindset is yours. Guard this jealously. Guard this mindset, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to be envied, a thing to be desired. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Lord Jesus Christ, he came and he chose love. He didn't grasp at anything. Even the glory that belonged to him, he refused it. This is your mindset that belongs to you as children of light. He chose to trust in God for eternity, took on the eternal perspective, and he grasped only to the closeness with the Father. And that was a spiritual attack on the worm. My brothers and sisters, this mindset is yours. Let's learn from Asaph. 
Envy is so destructive for us. But if we learn from him and we have our eyes opened and have an encounter of eternity, you can be free. You can be free. And the joy and the redemption, all of that can be restored. But you need to have an encounter with the Lord so that eternality is more real than the things of this earth. You could treasure God again. And your connection with him, your intimacy with him, it'll come back. Because that worm that separated you, the bitterness will fade away. If you turn your eyes upon Jesus and you look full at his wonderful face, the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray. Let's come to the Lord in prayer.